Kago. Welcome to the Garbage Fire Podcast, aka MFKS Radio on the Airwaves dial at 487.52. Your pod is hosted by Kelsey and Megan who are tired of foreplay. The Garbage Fire Pod is all about being unironically passionate to the point that you would dive into the dumpster for the things that you love. Okay, so I feel <laughs> like we need to explain. <laughs> we should probably explain. <laughs> so we're going to talk a lot about Little Women today. Yes. The movie, not just Little Women. I feel like that also needs to be clarified. Um, and I said that there were some things that I probably, that Kelsey's not going to like what I have to say about some of the things. Um, and, uh, then I'm very nervous that, about that. Then there was enough, enough of the foreplay, let's just do it. So here we let's are. Let's fucking do it. Um, anything else we want to talk about before we jump into that? Um, oh, I saw Bombshell last night. How was that? Not good. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm somehow not surprised. Which is like unfortunate. It. It's unfortunate because it's got like a stellar cast. An amazing cast. Like it it blew my fucking mind how they made all these people like fucking Charlize looks exactly like Megan Kelly. I know. And they had um Richard Kind was Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I love Richard Kind. I know. He's so lovely. But there's just like there's something about seeing him play a Giuliani who's already just like an absolutely cartoonish character. Mm-hmm. Just took him over the top. Ooh, let's. Do you want to talk about Sack Lunch Bunch? I was just that when you said Richard Kind, I was like, <laughs> we should definitely talk about that. Let's do that first. Okay. I loved it. The songs were so good. They were. They were. <laughs> like, I. In case anyone doesn't know, John Mulaney did like a kid's special that's not a kid's special. Um. Because it's really not a kid special at all. Um, no, it and, talks about death and your <laughs> admiration for your step-grandfather. Yeah. <laughs> it was really good. Um, but it was super great. I mean, I would watch anything John Mulaney does. Oh, for sure, for sure, for sure. Uh, and so there was no question in my mind that I was going to watch that. And then I did. And man, was it good. It was really, It was really funny because... Like, even if Mulaney wasn't the host of it, which he's, like, barely in it himself, it just has his footprints, or his footprints, his fingerprints all fucking over it, that you're just like, oh, I think there's footprints as well. Yeah, sure. Some some... bloody ones? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Uh, No, it was, and it was just so fun because, like, it was obviously designed this way, and it just reminded me of, like, watching Sesame Street. Yeah. Right, with the, that setup, and you have, you know, this like, um, this like neighborhood, and all these kids on the stoop, and like, it was just, it was very much like, like watching Sesame Street. Um, except instead of like Sesame Street characters, you have songs about like, yeah, <laughs> Grandma's new boyfriend, and <laughs> how I lost my eye. Yeah. <laughs> and what was the one that the, the Jackson boy sung about the woman oh. crying on the New York street. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That one Which was, was like, so bizarre. It was like veering into some very uncomfortable territory. Yes. I was like, okay, <laughs> I thought this started out as you just being like a compassionate young man who like sees someone crying and like wants to help them. But now it's just like, this woman is taking some emotional advantage of you. Um, absolutely. And you child. are 10. <laughs> 
Satan. Oh my god. I love the talking heads in between, though, about how, like, what each of the kids' like greatest fear was. Yeah. That was so fucking cute. Oh my Although, god. Although, I have to say that one kid with the curly hair and the glasses, I was very distracted by all of the things going on with him that I didn't really listen to what he had to say. Oh, the one like, that kind of had the lisp? The lisp, plus the curly hair, plus the glasses. The square glasses? Was, yeah. yeah. And he was, was like, amazing. You, you need to calm down. <laughs> you are too much. Because it was just like, and then, and then, and then, and then. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> yeah, listening to him tell a story was like listening to a three-year-old tell a story. Yeah. Um, except slightly more articulate. Yeah, yeah I, really I did good. enjoy the talking head stuff in there. I thought that was kind of fun because it was like a nice little... Um, it made it feel more like... It made it feel more... Less like... I don't know. I don't even know what I'm trying to say. It just made it feel more like like almost like a documentary. Yeah. In that respect, then, because you have these people, like, obviously, they're they're acting in the special and whatever, but, like, you have these kids then, and, and also other people, like, telling, um, you know, telling their stories. The real, yeah. Yeah, that was really funny. The in-memoriam section just <laughs> fucking killed me. <laughs> yeah, you gotta watch this show. It's so yeah. funny. It's only an hour. So, like, you It's have... only an hour? Yeah. Oh man, I didn't realize that. Yeah, it was it was only an hour long, maybe an hour and ten or something like that. It was not long. Um, but it's uh, yeah, it was just it was super fun, and I didn't know what to expect because all I'd heard is that like John Mulaney was was writing a children's special, right? Mm-hmm. That's all I'd heard, and I didn't know. Um, I didn't know anything about it, and then. I, I I loved it. It was exactly what I didn't know I wanted, I guess. Oh, for sure. And then, yeah, Richard Kind. It was so funny that Richard Kind was the only, like, listed guest actor, and then there's, like, all these other people in it, too. I know. I was like, David Burns in one song? I was like, what the <laughs> fuck? And then, like, freaking Jake Gyllenhaal for five minutes at the end, and I was like, oh. what? He was great. He was, he was just so good. When his mustache was just hanging from his <laughs> face at the end. <laughs> Oh my god. I love everything that Jake Gyllenhaal does. I will I always be in his freaking corner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's amazing. He is. And he's a like he's a great actor. Just a bu- but he also like has clearly learned how to not take himself too seriously. Oh god, no. Do things like that? Yeah, um, he's amazing. No, it was uh it was super fun. I very much enjoyed it. I also... What else did I watch? Did I watch anything else? Oh, I watched The Report um, on Amazon. I don't know what that is. It's about... Um, I'll, I'll preface this. Adam Driver's in it. But anyway. Oh, I yeah. see, Megan. <laughs> but no, it's about it's about the... It, he plays the Senate staffer who like wrote the torture report. The um, mm. And it's really, really well done. Uh, Annette Bening's in it. John Hamm is in it. Um, Annette Benning plays uh, Senator Diane Feinstein. Oh uh, shit, that's good casting. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was. It was really, really well done. Um, and uh, Maura Tierney's in it. Love she, her. She's a, like a CIA operative. Um, in involved in like the torture, so they kind of flash back and forth between you know like the investigation part of things and like the the creation of the report and then um, the. 
the torture and whatever that took place. You don't really see a lot. You see a little bit of the waterboarding, but you don't see, like, a ton of stuff that happens, which is good. Like, they're just... It's all very, like... Yeah, yeah, but it's also all very atmospheric. So, like, you get the sense of it without having to actually see it, which is is a good thing. Um, And I read something about it um, in an article... I don't know, probably in, like, October. Um, and it was it was a profile, like, of Adam Driver. And the director of this one said that, like, because of the kind of subject matter, you he, he needed to cast someone who was believable as an obsessive personality. <laughs> because, like, how bold... Because of the scope of this job, right? Like, this guy yeah. basically ended up writing, like, a 6,000-page report. Um, and only the summary has ever really been released. Because uh, so much of it has been redacted, and like the aliases of operatives have been redacted, and like aliases of their suspects have been redacted, like it's it's all very much shrouded in a bunch of mystery. Um, and so, but that was what the director said: is you needed someone who you could believe would like willingly hold himself up in this office for five years to do this work. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like it was really really well done. It was very different from watching like Marriage Story, for example. Like you know, yeah still very obsessive personality and whatever but just a very different kind of um very different kind of film and it was very quiet in in a lot of ways which was nice like it was a very it was a very there wasn't lots of action there wasn't lot it was just like a quiet story mm-hmm. um, but it was really really well done oh interesting and i really might have to it. watch that um and it's like i don't know like just under two hours maybe something like that oh so love film under two hours so it's not like a huge time investment either which is nice yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it and I liked it, but it made me think about like everything I've ever seen about like any kind of movie that involves like national security stuff, except for like national treasure, obviously. That's like the only one I can think of that doesn't fit this mold. It just makes me feel like Washington DC is like a city where just people are just having secret meetings in public at all times. Oh, for sure, for sure, for sure. Right, like, like just any two people sitting on a bench together are definitely having a secret meeting about something. Definitely spies in disguise. Or if there's two people sitting in a parked car talking, definitely like one's a reporter and the other's like a confidential source or like yeah. whatever it is. Because it just always makes me laugh when I see that. And I understand that like because of the chance of, you know, your phones being tapped and all that, like I get why you have to have the in-person meetings and, and all this kind of stuff. Um, but... Yeah, I just thought it was really funny, like, because that's, that's the, supposed the to, like, that look normal. It's supposed to be, like, normal behavior. Yeah. And you're just like, well, <laughs> in D.C., if I see two men <laughs> in suits in a car, yeah, <laughs> they're either spies or they're spying on me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it was, it was good. It was really well done. I quite enjoyed it. Um, and it was, like, it was a good, it was kind of nice. It wasn't, like, really a thinker. I didn't have to think too hard to watch it because all of the work was being done for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it gave a little bit of a uh, a glimpse into, like, what that world sort of looks like. Gotcha, gotcha. You know, and sort of the bureaucratic nightmares that go along with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was good. I liked it. Good. I'll have to add this to my list. My list is ever-growing. I know. It's never-ending. Um, oh, I don't know if I told you. Did I tell you that I watched this Norwegian show called Home for Christmas? What? On Netflix. It's Norwegian? Yeah, so my friend Aaron told me about it, and so I watched it. Um, and you can have the option, of course, you can watch it dubbed, or you can watch it with subtitles. I watched it with subtitles. because Always the watch the... it with subtitles. I don't... Subs, I not can, dubs. I can sometimes watch stuff that's dubbed. It depends what it is. Um... 
But I found the voice for the main character very distracting. Uh, oh, so she found this through Quinn, didn't she? Uh, or her friend, um, who is going to school in Norway, one or the mm. other. Anyway, it was super, it's six episodes, and there's probably going to be a second season, like, next year. I hope there is, because I would like to know what happens, and, like, who who is at the door at the end is what I really want to know. Um, but it's about this girl, she's, like, 30-ish, this woman, she's, like, 30-ish, 31, somewhere in there, and her family keeps asking her, like, when she's going to bring a boyfriend home for a holiday, and then, so she says she has one. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. And, <laughs> you know, that old lie. So then she goes George in George like, Glass. The, the month of <laughs> George Glass. So for, like, the whole month of December, she goes on a whole bunch of dates and she tries to, like, meet somebody that she can, you know, take home to her parents. Um, and the, the, the two things I really liked about it, I, I don't know where it was filmed, but I'd have to find, do a little bit of research, but, um, I really enjoy the idea of, like, Christmas in Norway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it looks amazing. Uh, and it wasn't in a big, big city. It was in, like, a, a smaller place. Um, which was kind of nice, but the other thing that I really enjoyed about it was, like, obviously it's a European production, and so there's some different ideas about, like, sexuality and and whatnot, um, on television, Mm -hmm. more than what we would see here, um, and so the guy that she ends up, like, I think really falling for is, like, 19, um, and it just sort of... Yes, I'm looking at his face right now, and he's the prettiest boy I've ever seen. Right? And it, like, and so, but she, but it, but it didn't treat it in any kind of, like, weird way. Like, at first she was like, oh no, he's so young, he's so young, like, as she was talking to some of her friends about it, and then she was like, yeah, fuck, who cares how young he is? Like, it was just a really interesting Because thing. he's so pretty, it's ridiculous. Um... Yes. Like, but if yeah, it you was good. put a long blonde wig on this boy, he would be the prettiest woman you've ever seen. That's how pretty he is. Oh, my God. He's very Sorry. beautiful. No, he is. He's is, he is <laughs> absolutely... He's very, very pretty. You are right. Um, but I thought it was really interesting that that was, the, the, that was the, the person that she sort of, like, latched onto the most. Right. Um, and it just treated it as a very sort of normal thing. Like, here's this connection between these two people, and it seems to work, and so... Whatever. Let's see what happens with it. Yeah, mm-hmm. which I thought was which I thought was good. Uh, it's only six episodes, so if you get a chance, you should watch it. It's really good. Are they like thirty minutes? Yeah, thirty thirty five. Sweet. They're, they're not super. They're not super long. Um, yeah, it was it was lots of fun. I enjoyed it a lot. And the other thing that I really thought was interesting too is because I, and I feel like it's because it's a European thing as well. Uh, main character, she's like just tattooed up, and it's not an issue. Uh huh. Like where. If you saw the same thing made over here, I don't know. You know what I mean? The, the, like she'd have like, some like shady past, or she yeah, or always be smoking cigarettes or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And like at one point in time, she's like, uh, you know, she goes to like the spa, like, and she goes into like does like the sauna, and her parents happen to be there, and everybody's just naked. Like it's just it's a very different like way of looking at things. Yeah, I remember when I was in Norway visiting my dad. There was, we went to the. Stavanger Viking soccer game and we were in his company's box and they had like the Norway whatever the fuck professional league like TSN on TV and there's like commercials happening while we were eating our dinner before it and there was just in a commercial for a cell phone just a woman and her nipples mm. and I was just like oh okay yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Europe is fun like that. Yeah. Alrighty. Moving moving on. Yeah. 
But yeah, if you if you get a, if you get a chance, you should watch it. It's good. I liked it. Okay, I have to add that and the report to my list. Don't watch Bombshell. <laughs> I will not. It's not that it's bad. It's just that it's not like. What I don't want to see is women getting sexually assaulted at work. Right. What I do want to see is women banding together to take down a fucking sexual predator. Well, and in in the story, that kind of story, like, they don't need to show you that they're getting sexually assaulted. No. We literally all know what happened. I know. And they did. And it was unnecessary. And I didn't like it. Gotcha. It was... Yeah. It was a bit much. I understand. There was one really... No, it's too context heavy. Never mind. There was just one moment where I laughed, but that was it. Everything else was just like, fuck. Fuck. This sucks. And yeah, it's, depressing. it's too bad, because looking at that cast, like, it's it should have been great. The acting is amazing. It truly is amazing. Like, you had no fucking clue that it was Charlize the whole time. Her voice is different. She dropped it down, like, three octaves. And yeah, Megan Kelly consistent. does have that. Like. Oh, man, it was so good. And Nicole Kidman's so good as Gretchen Carl. It's just, like, it's a really, really incredible acting choice. It's just, like, the film itself was just, like, blahzy blah. <sighs> That's too bad. Yeah. Can we move on to Little Women? Go ahead. Okay. First of all, I thought the casting was excellent. However, Timothy is no Christian Bale, and I'm sorry to say it. Yeah, I don't like him at all. You don't like him at all? No, I'm not a fan of his at all. I don't understand what the big deal about him is, and I was just like, I was distracted by him in that movie. He has this thing where he can be just like so blasé. And he was just too blasé in this film. Well, one of the, my problem with it, I think, is that he was fine when they were, like, adolescents at home in Concord. But yeah. as, like, the, the adults, I was like, no, you, no, you're not good enough. Like, he was too immature? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know that's, like, but he, but it's not, he's just, he looks so young, too. Like, whereas, I mean, and like, this is- Amy I, looks I, older than him. Yes, and and I feel bad for this comparison that I'm about to make because it's not his fault, but, like, the best Laurie that's ever been on film is Christian Bale, and that's, that's, (laughs) there's no, there's no comparison, but, like, Christian Bale had that ability, you know, and same, like, even, like, in Batman Begins, where he was, like, playing, like, Bruce Wayne, the college student. Yeah. And then, like, Bruce Wayne, the business tycoon. Um... Same, they filmed it at the same time, but he had this ability to like change his appearance, mm-hmm. um, and whatever. There's not and much looked. about Laurie that changes. No, and, and but like Timothy Chalamet, I just I'm I'm not a huge fan of his. Just sort of like in general, I, whatever he is, what he is. Um, but I just, yeah, I was distracted by how young he looked yeah. when he was supposed to be much older. For sure, for sure. And it's so uh, funny how I talked about this in The King too, how he's just like. He's just a twig. And, like, mm-hmm. when you see a twig in chainmail coming at you, it's not <laughs> intimidating whatsoever. <laughs> and, like, he doesn't change his body at all for any of these roles. Like, he's yeah. just... I don't know if he just smokes a million cigarettes a day or what, but he's just, like... 
he's a little twig man. Do you know and who would have been a really good Laurie in this context? <laughs> Christian Bale? <laughs> well, no, he's too old now, probably. <laughs> oh uh, my god, can you imagine? <laughs> no, I was, you know, uh, who I was thinking, though, who still has that ability to, like, look quite young and whatever, but it's definitely not, would be Eddie Redmayne. Because, uh... like, he's still, like, he's, I don't know, whatever, he's, like, my age-ish. Um, but depending on how he's, like, how he's dressed and and styled or whatever like he could definitely play off that like younger whereas because i feel like that was the thing that was missing because i didn't really believe um i didn't even really believe that amy would want to be with him and obviously these are spoilers whatever the book was published in 1868 i don't care um i i i couldn't buy that that even amy would want to be with him i know in this iteration I agree. Because he just, like, he was just such a fuckboy when he was in Europe. Oh, absolutely. And I I understand, okay, here's what I understand. I understand Amy's desire to be with him because she has such a competitive relationship with Joe. Yes. And she's spoiled and she's bratty and all she wants to do is be Joe. Yeah. But she's not because she's... She is bratty. She is impetuous. She's, you know, she's much too fierce. And Joe mm-hmm. is so much more more independent than that. So I yes. can understand why she has a desire to be with Teddy so that she can be Joe. Yes. However, there's nothing about Teddy that I would want to be with. <laughs> like, other no. than her desire to love someone who she thinks knows her. Or, like, or, you know, the memory of, you know, the boy that she was yes. in love with when she was a child. That's very different. That that part I can make sense of. Uh-huh. But, but it's a very, like, schoolgirl idea of love and romance. Yes. And there's nothing really about Amy that progresses past that. No. No. Except, like, this Amy was less awful than um, Amy in the lot. Like Kristen Dunst? Like. Yeah, for sure. Oh, for sure. She was Fuck. the fucking worst, and I could not believe she ends up with... In that one, it was fucking unbelievable. It yeah, made it me was, mad. It was unbearable that, yeah. she, that she had ended up... And when she falls was... through the ice, you're like, fine, go die. What do I care? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Whereas in this one, I felt a little bit... I felt a little bit of empathy, but, like, I had forgotten that she burns Joe's story. Oh, my God. Oh my god, I couldn't... I forgot that too. I, I'm glad I didn't reread it before I went because it was so nice to be surprised by things. Yeah, yeah. And that was just fucking unforgivable. And for her to not even understand why Burning Joe's story was unforgivable just mm-hmm. really reinforces Amy's immaturity. Yeah, one, and to not get... And, and I think the thing too that was problematic maybe with that is because... They dealt with them a little bit more as they're a little bit older. So it's like, it's like, so like the story that Greta Gerwig produced or presented condenses their childhood into like a smaller span of time. Yeah. Because Amy is like 12, I think. At the, yeah, super at the beginning of the book. And super, Joe's super like young. six. I think Joe is like 15 and Meg is 16 and Beth is 13, I think. Yeah, 14, and then it's seven it's years like in the future is their kind of present. Yeah. But I this one 
sort of condensed, and so they, I felt like they were all a little bit older. Yeah, for uh, sure. Which is fine. Um, I said to Riva after we were we were watching it, I was like, I don't know if I like living in a world where Emma Watson is the oldest sister. Oh yeah, because like, it's like time has just marched on yeah. quite quickly. <laughs> you know what? I thought crazy? she was great though. I thought she was really good. I really liked her scenes with Lori when she goes to that like coming out party mm-hmm. and she. Like, they're so poor, and she doesn't have a second dress, and she gets gifted a second dress. And she, she gets to be someone away from her reality, which is very poor, which they give up everything for yeah. other people. And they're, like, poor in money, but rich in love. And fucking Timothy, Lori just comes in and just fucking criticizes. He nags her. He nags all yeah. of the sisters. Yeah, he does. <laughs> the whole time I was like, what the fuck? But she just looks so so lively and you can tell Mm -hmm. just like how important it is to her to like feel pretty to be amongst pretty things and then to be also be separate from her sisters yes and to be her own individual yeah yeah and i think they did that really nicely as well as like the conflict with her husband about the the fabric i thought was really Mm -hmm. really powerful but that's what i liked about this film is it made each of the siblings so much more individualistic than I think the previous film did. Yeah, because, I mean, the, the the last one was very much a chronological narrative, and so it's Joe's mm-hmm. story, because Joe's the one who wrote it down, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, whereas, um, I think this one, because it sort of jumped back and forth, but because it jumped back and forth, this was a quibble that I had with it, okay. I didn't feel that Beth was given enough time. Really? Because I I felt like like her death was very impactful. Uh-huh. Um but only because the scene immediately before was like Joe waking up the last time that Beth was really sick and her bed being empty. See, but I really liked that. I really liked those scenes because up until that point, I think Joe thinks that she can do anything if she tries hard enough and if she sacrifices hard enough. Like, she can give herself up to make other people happy and feel safe. And, like, she's already, like, making money for the family and trying to, like, keep everything afloat. And here, it's like, no matter what she does, she fails for the first time. Oh, no, absolutely. But it just, I just felt like, had there not been that, like, just juxtaposition of Beth being fine the first time. Right. I don't it wouldn't think have that been that, It wouldn't have... Impactful. Whereas in the last one, just because it was that chronology... Yeah. Like, Beth's illness sort of hangs over... Everybody, yeah. Everybody. Um, right. Right, and so you get that sort of... It's it's not talked about a lot, but it's there, and it's present, and everyone sort of knows that eventually it's coming. Right, and you only get Beth's illness because the other girls are too selfish to do what yes. Beth seems that her mother would want to do. Yes. That is so heartbreaking, too, how she's like, no, this is the right thing to do. I'm going to go check on the poor and sick people. Yeah. And no one else is going to do it except for me. Oh, my God. That mm-hmm. was so... Oh, poor Beth. 
Do you know one of my I which I did, I knew like who the sort of main cast was. I did not know that Chris Cooper was in it. Me neither till the and end. It was, I was like, what the fuck? Who is that? No, I I recognized him right away. But did I was you? just like, it was such a delightful surprise because mm-hmm. he's always like, he's like the CIA operative or he is like the general like he's always in that kind of role Mm -hmm. and it was just I really liked I really really liked that um that he was in this like much more gentle quiet role this time so gentle and you know what I don't remember because I remember in the books how he as Mr. Lawrence was like this sort of reclusive not hot-headed, but curmudgeonly figure in mm-hmm. the books. And am I wrong? I thought that's what it was in the books. I thought he was just like freaking Lori's old grump of an uncle. But he was so soft and so gentle. And that scene where Beth is playing the piano and he just sits down on the stairs and cries. Oh my god. I wept and wept and wept. And then when he tries to go back to the house after Beth is gone and he can't bring himself to do it. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. That was rough stuff. From best ass on, <laughs> I just, like, cried every five minutes in this oh, fucking I cri- movie. I cried so much after... Oh, boy. Yeah. Like, I already texted you. I don't want to confront my feelings about a couple parts of this <laughs> movie because, oh, boy. Yeah. Do not... Do not like it. Because, like, when Lori says to, um, says to Joe when she turns him down, mm-hmm. which that scene was beautiful, by it the way. It was Like, in the autumn fantastic. and all of that. Oh, God, that was gorgeous. Um, when, but when she says, you know, she turns him down. Mm-hmm. And I really don't think that she, like, expected it at all. Because in her mind, I think she was, they were just friends and, you know, like, you know. Mm-hmm. Lori was just her dearest friend and blah, blah, all this kind of stuff. I don't think she ever really considered uh, anything beyond that. No. Um, I think they were just, like, as close as siblings could be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when, when he tells her that, like, he's in love with her and, you know, and she just, like, doesn't really know what to do and then she turns him down and when he says that, like, he's essentially going to, she she's going to meet someone and fall in love and he's ha- gonna have to, like, stand by and watch. Watch it happen, it was, yeah. Oh, it was just, like, a dagger in my fucking heart. And I was just like, oh, boy. It was. Like, like don't like that. No, that scene was so heartbreaking. Not only because... Not only because Lori was just... You could tell that this is something that he's wanted to talk about for a long time and just felt like Joe would never want to hear it because he says like we have to hash this out like we have to we have to have this conversation and Joe's like no we don't nope there's no conversation to be had stop it stop Mm -hmm. it stop it but what I really liked about this scene in this film overall is you can tell how much rehearsal that they did beforehand because like this scene and the scenes where all the girls are in the house and everybody's just like like chatter 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 and it just seems so natural because everyone's like talking over each other like normal people would and just like there's no it didn't feel like a like a grade 12 play you know where you wait Mm -hmm. patiently for the person to end their line and then you say well what I think is 
it just felt so natural and that scene between them was so emotional that it's just like holy shit dude mm-hmm. oh yeah i really love how greta gerwig does dialogue in her films well it just <clears throat> it always feels so much more natural just mm-hmm. in general like um and that was one of, that's one of the things that i was really liked about like um like friday night lights and parenthood and like tv series like that Mm -hmm. is that the dialogue is allowed to just happen yeah like you would be having a normal conversation rather than yeah waiting for someone's line to finish and then starting over Mm -hmm. especially because in this scene like both of them essentially scream at each other (laughs) oh yeah and and like refuse to listen and walk away and what i really appreciated too is like the previous film in 94 was very much I think the traditional sense of looking at period pieces where it's a still camera, the camera is fucking 50 feet away from the characters, the characters are symmetrically placed about a room, and it's very still. And this film was just, everything was always in motion. The camera was always moving, the characters were always moving. It just felt like so full of energy and life. And that was such a nice difference from like other period pieces well yeah and it was colored very well and so like you felt um you felt like you were part of it Mm -hmm. instead of just being the observer because yeah lots of period pieces always feel like you're watching the stage production Mm -hmm. exactly Um, exactly i think i think this one because the camera the first time we see anything on camera is um joe running Mm mm-hmm and the camera just flying along with her. I love that opening scene. It was so beautiful. Um, but I think because of that, like, it sets you up for this, like, d- different tone, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Can we... Oh, my God. Can we talk about Amy's costumes in Paris? Sure. <laughs> Holy shit. The stuff that she wore was so beautiful. I couldn't believe it. And this is my question for you that I still don't quite understand. How are they so poor when they live in that giant house and they have all these beautiful clothes? And also, they have fucking Aunt March who lives in a goddamn mansion. Aunt March is a bitch and I love her. I just want that to be on the record. I forgot that Meryl Streep was in it, and then I was like, yes. It, oh, it was so good. I'm texting that to you so we can put it in the title. <laughs> the one with the bitch that we love. Um, no, she, like, when she said at Meg and John's wedding, uh, she hopes they'll be happy now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now that they've ruined their lives, I was just like, oh. It's a woman after my own heart. It was amazing. And how she calls freaking um, Amy into the room. And she's mm-hmm. like, come here. Sit down. You're going to have to marry well. And that's your responsibility. And you're going to have to live with it. Okay, yeah. goodbye. Get out of here now. <laughs> yeah. Bye-bye. That's all I wanted to say to you. A bye-bye. Yeah. Oh, man. So good. So good. She was so great. It was so funny. Yeah, I did love that line of, like, I hope you're happy now that you've ruined your life. Because <laughs> you married for love. Yeah. Oh, she's like, geez. well, you never married. And she's like, well, I'm rich. <laughs> yeah. <exactly. laughs> oh, 
Oh, I know. I know. And the the scene that also I, like, forgot had happened was that, you know, when Joe was younger and that Marge said that she would take her to Europe. Yeah. And then when she takes Meg, uh, takes Amy instead. That's, I think, the reason why, when I read the book, why I hated Amy so much. Because she, you felt she didn't deserve it? No, of course she didn't. Mm-hmm. She was, like, this young, whining, sniveling child. Yeah. Um, and somehow, you know, and, and Joe's, and because I think Joe was, like, doing all this work and, and working to support her family and, like, you know. Doing all the good things that meant that all she the good couldn't things, go. And then Amy gets, yeah. and then, so Amy got to go to Paris and she got Laurie. I was like, fuck you, Amy. Fuck I know. you. I know. Yeah. But, like, this version of Lori, like we said, I wouldn't, no. Wouldn't want him anyway. Didn't, didn't have the same feeling. Whereas, like, Christian Bale's Lori, yeah, no, that's still heartbreaking to me. With those hair curtains? Sign me oh. up. <laughs> I did like, um, the emphasis on Amy's art. I thought that was really nice, because you really don't get a sense in the book or the previous film of, like, what her talents are. Right. And it seems like when she's in Paris, she really is maturing. And she understands, like, that conversation she has with Laurie was devastating about how, like, you can say you can marry for love, but I can't. And you need to understand why I'm making choices, even if you don't agree with it. And, like, fuck you if you don't agree with it. Because you don't understand what it's like to live like this. the, The other thing that I thought about her art that was really interesting is that she's not very good. <laughs> and, I, like, but, well, she's, and she's, she's never meant to be, right? But, like, no. I feel, I feel like, I feel like, you know, she wasn't very, she was never very good. Um, and, but I, they highlighted that really well when she's, like, you know, painting and, like, comparing mm-hmm. herself with... Others, um, yeah. Others, right? And, like... Which was, it was, like, fine. It was, like, yeah, a fine painting. It, it was fine, but it was very, it was, it was, like, the difference between, like, we were talking about this on New Year's Day, um... Riva and my friend Jill came over to my mom and dad's house for dinner, and we were talking about like art because we got talking about modern art actually. Um, oh no! Apparently, apparently oh, the no. night before, no, apparently the night before, our friend Ken and Riva got into like this <laughs> this big discussion about how modern art is great and like Jackson Pollock is a wonderful artist and all this. And Riva's like, absolutely not. You're wrong. You're incorrect. Oh, Ken is pro. Yes. Modern art. Oh no. <laughs> I, so I texted him immediately to ask him if he'd ever read anything by David Foster Wallace, and he said no. And I was like, okay, we can still be friends. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he's like, oh, I see. <laughs> um, but anyway, so we we got kind of got talking about that, and, it, and we got talking about Robert Bateman and his the the paintings that he does. Like he he does the he does the uh, like animal stuff that's mm-hmm. like very very hyper realistic. Okay. Um, and it, he's very talented, and it takes a lot of skill to make something look like a photograph when you're painting. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were talking about the difference between, like, Robert Bateman and, like, you know, I don't know, like, a Da Vinci or, like, a, a Picasso. And, like, just how, how you sort of look at things differently. And I got that sense with Amy's art. She's trying so hard to, like, do this, like, hyper-realism whatever. And then it's not great. And she's and she knows she's not great, and so she, like, decides essentially, like, to give it up. Because what else does she have? Mm-hmm. And then she just fulfills her role as, um, you know, the one who marries rich. Yeah, and... (sighs) Yeah, there was just something really upsetting of Laurie just fucking shoving his way into her life and Mm -hmm. really taking advantage of her affection for him. Yeah. And ruining 
that party that she was at. Yeah. Especially when he knew the stakes were so high for her. Or he should have known and understand, but he was too fucking selfish to. But then there's the argument could be made then, of course, that she, like, you know, she doesn't marry what's-his-face. Yeah. Fred Vaughn, right? She but if Lori to... wouldn't have shown up in Paris, wouldn't she? Well, she might have married him, but she would have been miserable about it. I don't know. It seemed like it was, like, fine. I just... It was really upsetting at the end of the film where Lori's holding this baby. And I'm like, but you're a baby. I know. I didn't Why like that at all. Why are you holding this baby? It was very uncomfortable and awkward and I did not enjoy. Um, also, I do have to say that I I'm, I appreciate that their um, casting of, like, Professor Bear was not someone who was a lot older. Mm-hmm. Um, like, Gabriel Byrne was wonderful. Right? Yeah. But I, but I just, I always found that really awkward. Um, whereas this, like, I just, and I, what I really liked about this, I, what I really, really liked about this is like when Joe's like, here, read my stuff. And he's like, "Mm, it's not good. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) this is the best thing ever. Yeah. But I don't think she thought it was the best thing ever. I think she was just looking for someone other than her family to like appreciate her. Yes. And he gives her such a harsh review and he's like, but I thought you wanted honesty. And she's like, yeah, but not that honest. <laughs> well, and, and he says the thing where, like, you know, he's, he acknowledges her talent. Mm-hmm. But just says that, like, you know, it's too whatever it is, right? And and that it's just, it's not good enough. But that, like, behind all of the stuff he doesn't like is a real talent. And she just wasn't ready to hear that. Mm-hmm. Um, Nor had she, like, really opportunities to challenge herself like she was writing stuff to make money she wasn't writing stuff that mattered to her yeah yeah absolutely Um, but i i enjoyed him a lot i thought i just thought he was funny he cracked me up and then when he shows up in concord on his way to california like come on man sure pal sure 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 and she's so dumb oh my god joe's so stupid i know in that respect, like, I, and, like, all of that flashback scene to when they got those keys for that, like, little mailbox, and she goes and puts the letter for Lori in, and then finds out that Lori's married to her sister, mm-hmm. and then, like, has to go and confront that, and then when she tears up that letter and throws it in the water, I was just like, oh, my poor heart. I know. Like, poor Joe. And I was like, yeah, like, I know the professor's gonna come for you, but, oh, this sucks so much. It does suck so much. Especially because, but- like, the way that Lori tells her... Yeah, it was so, like, nonchalant. But so rude. So rude of him, who is probably, at times, closer to her than her sisters. Oh, yeah. To just be like, oh, well, my wife, blah, blah, blah. As if he doesn't know how that's going to affect her. Like, it felt like a slap in the face. Like, he was like, Mm -hmm. well, you turned me down. I guess I'm going to fucking marry your sister. Mm Mm-hmm. I really didn't like that. That's what I mean about, like, Timothy played it super blasé. He did. He really did. And and I didn't, I didn't love that part of it. No. I'm because sh- I think, like, I understood why when they were younger, I understood sort of, like, his appeal, like, as their friend and, and whatnot. Like, I, I got that. Because mm-hmm. um, it was just, like, a different person and being welcomed into their home. And, and their home is so open and loving and, and kind. And, like, he very clearly needed that as well. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, his grandfather was fine, but he definitely needed someone. Well, there's, like, no feminine energy in his life at all. 
No, and and so and so he needed that sort of family, uh, and it worked really well. And then as you know, but like as all those flashback scenes showing like him and Joe like being best friends essentially, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh yeah, I definitely understand like why he's in love with her. I get it. It makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Well, she's um, brilliant. She's absolutely brilliant. And that was one of the things that I thought was always really interesting about that friendship between them is because like he was not threatened by her no and her intelligence and anything like that which is why i think when i'm when i was younger and like even now i still think about it sometimes and i'm just like ah you know like i get i understand that she doesn't like she doesn't love him Mm -hmm. but it i've i always found it really troubling why she doesn't understand why he loves her Mm -hmm. because she doesn't really get it well i think that's Um, because she's always focused on other people Maybe. Like, her writing isn't always for her. It's because she's putting on a play for her sisters. Like, she's writing for them. She's trying to do something good that they will Mm -hmm. like. But two scenes, like, really made me laugh really hard. And one of them was the old man's club that the sisters have. Oh my god, that was hilarious. (laughs) I loved it. I loved how they, like, cheersed with their... Um, pipes <laughs> yeah. and stomped on the ground and mm-hmm. uh, were wearing these ridiculous costumes. That was just like hysterical. Just reminded me of like being young with my sister so much. When it was really fun when in that scene when then when Lori like rolls out of like behind their costumes yeah. or whatever and he's just like, Hello, I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. That was really funny. And when um Meg is getting married, and Joe is like, just give me the word. We can run away right now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and then Meg has to be like, no, like, just because we have different dreams doesn't mean that my dreams aren't important. Like, you have Mm -hmm. to let me be me. And Joe's, like, so upset by that. She is. Except that Joe would be be so upset if someone didn't let her be her, right? Mm -hmm. Which is, like, the irony of, of that. Which is, like, the biggest irony, because, like, that's all that Lori would do, I think. If she was with Lori, like, Lori nags Amy, he nags Uh Meg when she's doing her own thing. No, but Beth is just, like, what is there to nag Beth about? Yeah. She's the sick one. (laughs) Yeah, well, exactly, then you're just an asshole. Yeah. But, like, I don't think he would have ever treated Joe that way. I think he would have no. been like, you know, let's let's pay to self-publish your book. Like, I don't think he would ever... Yeah, he'd be like, oh, who needs who needs Mr. Dashwood? We'll publish your book. It's fine. Yeah. Or we'll find someone else. So it's just yeah. really... I find yeah. that really bizarre how Joe thinks that, like, they won't ever get along. Because I think it's Joe's the one who could never allow herself to love Lori. Yeah. Which is so strange. Because I don't, and I don't know if that's, if it's that she can't allow herself to. I think she does. And I think she's afraid of it. But why? Because, because it's giving up something of herself? Yes, because I mean, she says the thing to her sister. She's like, we can still, we can end this now if you want. We don't have to do this. (laughs) We can run away together. We have a suicide pact on your wedding day. Like, it was so, it was so dark. And and so I I think that, like, (laughs) I think that that is, is sort of Joe in a nutshell about relationships, right? And about, 
and, and about how she feels. And so that's why, like, she doesn't realize that the professor is in love with her. Mm-hmm. Right? And when he's like, yeah, I'm going to go to California. And she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, what the fuck are you doing? But I think she just, like, hasn't given herself the the possibility of that. Because I think in her mind, she kind of just wants to be like Aunt March. Yeah, but I think that's because she wants control. Like, she... yeah. Yeah, she feels like to marry is to is to be someone's inferior or to be lesser than. Yeah, and so she needs like or she to needs submit a part- to. Yeah, and she doesn't under- necessarily understand that like you can have a partner. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's so funny because in that like, I forgot that their father ultimately came back or whatever. I was also Me very distracted too. by Bob Odenkirk. As their father, if only because, like, two days ago I watched that episode of The Office where Pam goes to interview for a job in Philadelphia and he's the manager at this real estate office and is just, like, Philadelphia Michael Scott. Like, I I was very very distracted by him on screen. (laughs) It's really hard to, like, I know a lot of people watch Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, but, like, all I know him from is from, like, sketch stuff. So to see him as this character, I was like, oh, no. (laughs) What's going on? But I just just think it's really interesting that that Joe has that sort of feeling about things. Because in the household that she lives in, Mm -hmm. their mother is firmly in control. Mm -hmm. Like, it is Marmy's house. There is no getting around that. And so it just, I just find it really interesting that that Joe makes this assumption that, like, if she were to sort of relent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that someone, that what, whatever man she ends up with would control her. Whereas, like, in the, 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 the two women in her life who prove that wrong are Aunt March, who is single. Mm-hmm. And, and her like, own mother. And her, and, and then, and then Marmy, who's just, like, mm-hmm. you know, this fierce and determined and strong woman who, like, you know, always just wants what's best for Others, her daughters. Yeah. And for, yeah, and for other people just sort of in general. Um, so it's interesting to me that Joe has that feeling. Wasn't it? I found that a scene was really heartbreaking about when after, yes, you're absolutely right. Like she, there's no reason that she should have these feelings when all the relationships she sees modeled day to day are the opposite of what she expects it to be. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. Even Meg and John. For sure. Like, they're poor, but they're desperately in love with each other. Yeah. And, like, come into conflict over that, but still, at the end of the day, want each other Mm -hmm. to be happy. But what I found, like, about Marmy, what I found really devastating is when... After Amy falls through the ice and Joe is, like, so guilt-ridden over how... Like, she left things if if Amy would have died. And she's talking to Marmy, and she's like, I'm so, I'm so angry all the time. Like, I'm so emotional, and I can't control it, and I go into these rages, and, and, like, all I do is hurt people around me. And she says to her mom, like, I wish I could be more like you. I wish I could be kinder and gentle and more sympathetic. And Marmy's like, I'm mad every day. <laughs> Yeah. I'm mad all the time, <laughs> but I just try to, just try to control it, you know? Like, I love that. <laughs> it reminded me of the Hulk when he's like, I'm always angry. Yeah. She was yeah. just going to, like, explode and be green. But I really love that. And 
it let kind of Joe understand that like there's nothing wrong with your emotions. You just have to yes. channel them. But I also but I also think that by Marmy being being that way, mm-hmm. I think is part of the reason that Joe is the way that she is. Mm-hmm. Right? And, like, you know, Marmy just sort of accepts things and, and has, you know, just, like, this is this is our lot in life and we're going to help other people as we can and we're going to do all these things and hope for the best. Yeah. Um, and doesn't necessarily, and I think that's unfair to all of her girls that she, like, you know, doesn't ever have that emotional outburst. Mm-hmm. Because, like, she could, at, at any point in time, just be so angry with them for just being them, you know? And, oh, like, for sure, for sure. And she just chooses not to. Or even when Amy burns the manuscript. Oh! Couldn't believe how right? easily she went off. She told Joe it was up to her to make it better. Yeah. And well, she needs to forgive. Sister, right? And she needs to forget. Yeah. And it's just like, fuck, dude. Amy needs yeah. to be fucking grounded. <laughs> like, Yeah, for life. Send oh, her to live man. with Aunt March until she dies. Yes. Um. But yeah, I just, uh, I don't know. I just feel like. I feel like that, and I, I mean, I, I haven't read the book in forever, but I feel like that characterization is, is troubling, right? Because it sort mm-hmm. of makes you, it makes you think like, well, I guess it's, you know, whatever Joe sees is what Joe wants to see, I guess. And she sees her mother as this like saintly figure and we see her as a saintly figure, but maybe she's not. Yeah. I felt at times that like she did ask too much of her children. Mm-hmm. Like, that was really devastating when she came home and was like, I know it's Christmas, and I know, like, we've suffered a lot, and we're missing your dad, but there's people who are suffering more than us, and we need to give them all our food. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, yeah, fuck. No and they were so looking forward to it, and it was just like, that was really rough. And then, of course, that their was... compassion is rewarded. <laughs> Yeah, and that was the thing that I really liked. That was the thing that I really liked about about like Mr. Lawrence mm-hmm. and sort of his his relationship with that family. I thought was really really interesting. But also like, hey Lawrence, maybe fucking get these people out of a shack. Like yep. <laughs> you have money to give the second level of poor poor people a beautiful Christmas wheel meal, but only because they give theirs to someone else. Like there's a way to take out the mill man here, but whatever. I cried so hard when Beth got presented with that piano. It was beautiful. Oh my God. Did I cry? Well, and then, well, and she, like when she left, like immediately after I was like, what? Mm-hmm. What are you doing? I thought she I was going to, I know. And I thought she was going to go there and say, Because she was just at the poor people's house, and I thought she was going to go say, take it back and sell it, and give the money to the people. Yeah. I thought that's what was going to happen. Yeah, but then, well, I mean, good for her, I guess, that she went, because um, he recognized that she wasn't well. Mm Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really interesting, too, that Mr. Lawrence, like, you know, he has this pretty good relationship with the whole family. Um, Except that, like, Beth is very clearly his favorite. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, but I, I just always think that's kind of neat that, like, you know, 
Because you would think that the, the, the loud one or, like, you know, whatever, or even, or the youngest one, the most sort of, like, precocious one, but no, it's, like, this quiet little music maker is, like, was his favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really did enjoy at Megan John's wedding when Aunt March is there sitting in her chair, which I just think is a throne. Um, and uh, both Mr. Lawrence and Lori come up and ask her to dance, and she just turns them down. She's like, ugh. This- absolute disdain and they're both like mm, okay but they're <laughs> also tried. like teasing her oh i know but i just loved it i loved everything about it and meryl streep was just phenomenal she should have been on screen for the whole movie i don't know how but just somewhere like just a portrait of Aunt march just like everywhere looking at you <laughs> <laughs> would have been absolutely incredible uh, like the magic mirror just like i don't fucking know about this one joe <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. But also when she's in the uh, carriage with Amy, and she, Amy sees Lori, and she just fucking jump, jump, jumps out of the carriage and starts chasing down the street at March. It's like, oh my goodness, get back here right now! Like that's the absolute <laughs> most controversial thing you could do is chase a boy down the street. Yeah, that was so funny. Yeah, Meryl Streep forever. She's, oh man, she's so, so good. So, so, so good. You know what I also find hilarious about this movie is that, like, this book is so important because it, like, defines this, like, American girl sensibility. Yeah. And (laughs) the top, all of the girls, all of the March girls, other than Laura Dern, are played by (laughs) non-Americans. Yeah. Every single one. It's true. I thought it's that true. was really cute. Did you know that the Meg role was supposed to be um, Emma Stone? You know what? I was thinking about that and I was like, I could see that. Mm-hmm. But she was cast in the favorite, so they recast as uh, Emma Watson. You know what would have been, although actually I could see Emma Stone, I could actually see her better as Joe. Me Just too. Just like the way that she sort of commands... A screen. I love Sersha so much, though. She, I think she was a really good Joe. Oh, no, she was. But I was thinking, I was like, I was thinking about that, too, that all of these girls were, none of them were American. And I was like, oh, who would I have put instead? And I was like, well, Emma Stone would be in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, Fuck, she could have been Aunt March. <laughs> Fuck, she really could have been. That would have been amazing. <laughs> oh, can you imagine? She really could have been. That would have been. Well, no, okay, so let's. I mean, you can't, like, that's, that's now Meryl Streep is Aunt March forever. <laughs> like, no. Uh, the only other person that could have been Aunt March with any amount of, like, gravitas, I think would have been Helen Mirren. Mm. And she, because she has that ability to, like, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I think she would have been, I think she would have been great. Or, um, ah, shit. Oh, what's her goddamn name? Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> hold please <Okay. laughs> hold please julie walters mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i think julie walters would have done a really good job yeah she would have been good but yeah like or like but fuck no, it, it just... fucking maggie smith <laughs> <laughs> well yes there there is that as well <laughs> that would have been aunt march's aunt march <laughs> yes that's where she would have learned how to be aunt march <laughs> the og aunt march yeah. Oh man. Yeah. She's just. Yeah. She's just so good. 
But no, it was funny. I was thinking that on the way home, because um, Reva and I went to see it up in St. Albert in the like the fancy recliner theaters. Mm-hmm. So it's like a solid half hour drive home, right? And so, um, I was thinking about it, and I was like, yeah, I liked it. And I was like, didn't like Timothy Chalamet because I just yeah, I was not convinced by his portrayal of Laurie at all. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think for all of like, and this is maybe just me projecting, but I think for all of Laurie's whatever, I think he just needs a hug at all times, and to be reminded that like. You know, people do care about him, but they because I think I but no, but I but I always feel like that's his problem, is that he's gone through this life with this like you know this this wealthy upbringing and this boarding school and you know all this kind of stuff, where he doesn't have that like. But he also he's, he's, pushes people away who do well, love. Of course him. he does, but but he doesn't know because he does like he sees this family next door, mm-hmm. right, and they have this like wonderfully close relationship, and he's just jealous. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not even jealous. He's envious, right? Mm-hmm. He's envious of what they have because that's what he wants at the end of it all. And so, like, I always just feel like, especially in, like, their adolescence, I always feel like Lori just needs a hug. Mm-hmm. And to be told that, like, it's going to be okay. Uh, and then as he gets older, he just needs a slap in the face. Yes. Uh, to, like, because he's figured out, you know, that his money can get him certain things and whatever, and then... He turns into kind of a douchebag. And I just, I was really bothered by that portrayal. I really liked the guy that played John. Loved him. He was just so, like, quiet quiet and subtle. Yes. So handsome. Very handsome. But I was just convinced right away. I was like, oh, yes. Because it it was really funny. I'd kind of forgotten about it. And then when uh, he's introduced as Mr. Brooke, I was like, oh, yes. All right. Well, here we go. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just, I really quite liked him. I thought he was very, very well cast, and he played the role very well. Me too. I'm trying to, th- oh, he was in Death Comes to Pemberley. Did you ever see that? No. Oh, it's it's a really good show on Netflix, but um, I was like, where the fuck do I know his face from? But, um, yeah, he was really good. I liked how he was just, like, absolutely incompetent in <laughs> trying to talk to Meg. At the start, and he's just like, oh, your glove. <laughs> and then he just keeps the glove. Do you know what made that made me think of? Was um, indefinitely, have you seen Definitely Maybe? Yeah, a long time ago. It made me think of that part in Definitely Maybe where he finds that, like, first edition of whatever that book is. And then, like, goes to give it to which of Tyla Fisher's character and then finds out she has a, a like a live-in boyfriend so he leaves and keeps it like for years <laughs> and then finally gives it to her and she's so angry with him that she'd help because she'd obviously still been looking for this particular book and she just like, keeps this book like for years and she's so mad at him mm-hmm. for doing so which totally makes sense um yeah Meg's like but- what the fuck I've been looking for my glove for a year <laughs> right I've been going around <laughs> yeah. with one hand ungloved and this is like 1867 that is inappropriate yeah we only have money for one glove (laughs) oh man know what i really appreciated though before we stop talking about this Hmm. is how greta made sure to fill the world with people of color yes that was really really nice because especially these types of films these period pieces these like original colonies types movies mm-hmm. have the tendency to just be all white people. Well, and especially this one, like, it's post-Civil War. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, there's, you know, like, it has to be 
there has to be people of color. Yeah. Right? Um, but no, I just, I, the, the two things that I'd forgotten about, and I think it's because, I don't know if it's because it was Bob Odenkirk who played, I don't know, is that, like, he's just so ineffectual. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, his family, like, obviously cares very much about him and they love him an awful lot and whatever, but, like, he's a non-entity. And I was like, did he die? Like, where the fuck is he? But no, he's still there. Mm -hmm. He's just not part of the story at all. I know, and it was just, like, his letters were so full of love and affection and you could see like how and why the daughters loved him so much and were missing him so much because he was just like yeah he was just he was just a blob of love in their home absolutely yes yes but yeah I just felt I just felt like and I mean, I know that's how he is in the book, like, so it's not like, it's not like all of a sudden Greta was like, oh, well, we don't need this man in this movie. It wasn't that, because he's not in the book at all. But I just, I just think, think it's so funny, because, like, the first part of the story is, like, their father's away at war, mm-hmm. and he's, like, fighting in the Civil War, and, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's gone, and he's, like, this hole in their lives, and then he comes back, and they're like, oh, yeah, we have a father. Like, it's just very... <laughs> It's just very bizarre. Well, I think it's because they had to exist without him for so long. Maybe. And it, Maybe. they're I think they're very good because they've obviously gone through hardship before, even though they live in a giant house and always have food and always have costumes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. When they went to the Hummels uh, that first time, and I was like, you could see the outside from the inside, and I was like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, I know. That shack is a shack. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it was good. I liked it. I thought my favorite, I think some of my favorite parts about it, I liked this, the soundtrack, like the score underneath it was really beautiful mm-hmm. and I really liked what it looked like. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really beautifully shot. I thought it was, the cinematography was just gorgeous and it was all shot on location like in New England. Mm-hmm. And so you have, which I was pretty sure just based on like the houses and, and whatever that it was legit It had stuff. been done in yeah. the States and not in in England or whatever, because it very easily could have been, um, but just based on like the, the architecture, I was assuming that um, that they were in the states, and I liked that, and I liked that it was in the fall because you got all of those colors and you got all of those like it was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. It really was. I was watching on Instagram Explore today. There was a, a suggested video that was like behind the scenes of Little Women, and they had to in harvard and concord they had to truck in snow mm-hmm. and then all <laughs> you could see was like 10 snow blowers just like going through this big pile of snow just dumped by this dump truck and just like scattering it everywhere just like man fuck the yeah. budget on this movie was so high and i'm so happy about it because it looked amazing yeah. It did. It was it was absolutely gorgeous. Um, one of the trailers that we saw, speaking of gorgeous, and I don't know if I'll watch it because it's a Jane Austen adaptation, was for a new adaptation of Emma. I saw that too. And I so oh, before right before Christmas, one of my coworkers is like, I know you don't like Jane Austen. He's like, but just look at this trailer. He's like, look how beautiful this is. Um, and so I looked, and it's gorgeous. Like the trailer is absolutely stunning. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Bill Nye is in it, and I was like, oh, that might be enough to push me over the edge to go watch this. Yeah, innocence. Right? Isn't that um, what he says? Mm-hmm. In this time yeah. of innocence. But, um... Yeah. I just... Uh, I can't stand I that actress, pretty. though. 
I won't see that movie. I can't stand her. I don't even know who she is. Her eyes point in opposite directions, and she looks like a doll. It's not her fault. Well. (laughs) I mean, it's not her fault. Um, it comes out in February. Her name's Anya Taylor-Joy. Yeah. She was in the recent season of Peaky Blinders, and I hated her so much I stopped watching. Which, like, for me to stop watching Peaky Blinders is... Horrible. Oh, do you know what? Okay, so before we carry on, what would you say out of ten? How would you? Where would you? Ten. Oh, okay. Duh. (laughs) What would you give it? I don't know, like eight and a half. Oh, okay. I don't know. I just had some problems with it, but that's okay. I loved it. Can't wait Um, to see it again. Oh, I will definitely watch it again. But yeah, like fuck, I cried so much. Mm -hmm. It was just like I hated that I cried so much. I had so many feelings about it. I know. Well, even when. Timothy's like, here's another Christmas gift for the family, and the dad walks in. That's the first time I lost it, because that's before they lose Beth, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, because Beth is there. Yeah, that was rough stuff. That was, that was tough. And, like, yeah, I cried there a little bit, but no, I just, that whole, like, the whole Joe and Lori thing, and then when she, like, you know, and then when Marmy's like, but do you love him? And she's like, I could tolerate him. And I was like, well, I know that feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, but just that whole thing. And then she's like, resign- like you know, resigns herself to like Loneliness, telling him. yeah. Oh, God, that sucked so much. Mm-hmm. When she was just like, I'm tired of being alone. I was just like, Ugh. yeah, my heart hurt a lot. Yeah, it was really beautiful. And yeah, I think like a, a non kind of discerning viewer might see that as like a film about like a film about women who like need to be with men do you know what I mean but it's not Mm -hmm. that like it's not like the film is only about romantic relationships no no like Joe is trying so hard to be everything that she wants to be but she can't do it by herself yeah and that scene was just so powerful when she realizes that how there's no need to suffer and it's okay to be loved. And you have to open your eyes, you idiot, and see that the professor loves you. <laughs> oh my God. She's, well, I know, but she just, she can't imagine. Well, but think about it this way. The last interaction that she had with him, really, before she left, was him telling her that her writing sucked. So, like, <laughs> I kind of feel like I get where she's coming from. Where all of a sudden he shows up at her house. And she's like, oh, hi, yeah, have fun in California, I guess. Um, and But I really like that her sisters are like, God damn it, Joe, you're going to go after him, but we're going to make you look a little better first. Because, like... <laughs> you look you like shit. Sort of shit out. <laughs> yeah, you, you need to sort your life out. Let's go. But I like that even in the last scene where it's her walking with all the sisters. And, like, mm-hmm. she's in just, like, a smock. And, of course... Meg's got like the hoop skirt and so does Amy because they care about fashion and yada 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 Uh and Meg is just like or Joe is just like I don't fucking care about any of this dudes if I if I could wear pants I would yeah well absolutely she would um but no I just I there's lots of things that were really really great about it um I really enjoyed it but yeah I would say like eight and a half out of ten ten also I read something on the internet. I don't know if it was on, I don't know if it was an Instagram thing or if it was, um, 
uh, on Twitter, but someone basically said that, like, Saoirse Ronan uh, and Adam Driver clearly live in Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig's basement, so how come they haven't been in a movie together yet? <laughs> and I was like, no kidding. Oh, <laughs> I know. Saoirse and Greta forever and ever and ever. Like... Uh, it's true. It's really, really true. That's so funny. Uh, but it is true, because, like, she's been in how many of... Greta's movies? movies? Yeah. I think just Little Bird, or Little Bird, <laughs> Lady Bird. <laughs> Pretty sure. See, I didn't love... I didn't like Lady Bird. I didn't love Lady Bird either. Um... But yeah, it just I just thought it was really funny. Like the just that that made me laugh that 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 was sort of the the thing cuz like yeah, wouldn't that be great if they could be in a film together. Mhm. Um, cuz yeah, I think I think Adam Driver's been in like four of Noah Baumbach's movies. Now? That makes sense cuz Greta likes to reuse people too. Mhm. But yeah, it just it was it was just the idea of them living in the basement, which I thought was really funny somehow. <laughs> in the basement? No, more like an yeah. attic. Like maybe, maybe. I love Joe well, scenes li- in the yeah. attic. They're living somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just thought it was funny. Oh, um, Saoirse's in Greta's next movie too. <laughs> oh <laughs> no, sorry. Written and directed by Wes Anderson. Never mind. Oh, that's okay. Wes Anderson is like the male version of Greta Gerwig. Agreed. Anyway, let's just let's just not because she has like there, she very much has an aesthetic to her films. You know what's um, amazing and I can't wait for though hmm. is that um, Sersha is in a movie with Kate Winslet about lesbian um, anthropologists in the eighteen hundreds. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's gonna Fascinating. be amazing. So the thing about her that I think is really. Uh, that whenever I see Sersha, I always remember that she was in Atonement. Absolutely. She was that and awful she was, little girl in Atonement. She was so good as that awful little girl Briny, in Atonement. Briny, yeah. Um, but, like, that, the thing that she does, oh my god. Like, it was just so awful. It's so awful. And she, that movie she, is incredible. It's so, the book, like, the book is phenomenal and, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it just, it just makes me chuckle. Um, it makes me chuckle. Oh, yes. Okay. The French Dispatch. Yes. Starring Frances McDormand. Yeah. But the next one, Ammonite, is the one about the lesbian. Did you... Okay, but did you see the cast of this fucking Wes Anderson movie? Yeah, it's all his usual people. (laughs) Plus 80 others. It's It's crazy long. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. Like oh, an untitled musical film. Oh, there we go. So she's gonna be set, in a musical. Yeah, set in post World War Two France. That sounds amazing. Uh huh. That's really funny. Yeah, like it started in December nineteen. It was December twenty eighteen, rather. Sorry. Um, where the, the you know Francis McDormand and all these people are announced in it, and then it's like oh, and by April, also these other people joined the cast. Like, what the fuck. Yeah, these 40 other people. Yeah. Oh, Timothy's in that one, too. Oh, boy. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about how that. How enjoyable for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Oh my god, Christoph Waltz's character, it's Boris Schammers, but when I first glanced at it, I thought it said Boris Schmorish. <laughs> Excuse me while I write a novel about Boris Schmorish. <laughs> I would read it. I'm 100% I would read it. That's so funny. Um, but yeah, no, it was good, and I enjoyed it, and I'm glad that the, I'm glad that they made it, because mm-hmm. it was, uh, yeah, it was good. And I think Greta did a phenomenal fun. job. She did. Well, and I think it's tough to take a, a source like that and turn it into something. Especially when, like, it's it's a, obviously, like, an adaptation of something that's been adapted a million times. Mm-hmm. But, like, the most recent, like, big screen adaptation of it is, like, Beloved. very well loved. Yeah. Right? And so, I feel like that is, um, I feel like that's the challenge. Right, to take this and, and turn it into something that people will love. Even more than feeling, the previous one, yeah. Or without feeling like you're stepping on the thing that they loved. Maybe she should direct a Star Wars movie. But just she could figure out how to do it. <laughs> figure out. You know what I mean. It's not an equation. Well, no, it is an equation, could, never mind. It is an equation, but I bet you she could figure out how to direct a Star Wars movie that like didn't make people mad. Yeah, that's true. You know? Yeah, but Timothy would be in it, and you wouldn't be on board with that. If he was a stormtrooper that died, I would be fine with it. <laughs> Imagine him in some fucking stormtrooper armor. I don't think so. <laughs> no, he would have to wear, like, child-sized stormtrooper armor. <laughs> the only role of his that I don't hate is, like, in the beginning of Interstellar. Oh, yeah, I always forget he's in Interstellar. Hey, did you know Interstellar is turning ten years old this year? No, it's not. Yeah, it is. It is not. It is. Inception is. Oh, Inception. Sorry, my bad. Interstellar came out in like 2014, (laughs) and I was like, "Holy shit, what happened to the time?" I got confused. Yeah, Inception. Yeah, I do remember because I remember going, watching it in the summertime, and coming back to work and thinking like, "Hey, here's like an actual good blockbuster movie I can also talk about with my kids," Mm -hmm. because there's no like weird things in it. Like, this year, I could not talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with my children at all, because I was like, mm, you probably shouldn't have seen that. Well, that's Tarantino, too. Um, but no, I, I do remember coming back to work and being like, Inception is good. Inception is, is a good movie. I enjoy it a lot. <sighs> do you have anything else? No, nothing. I found a BuzzFeed quiz that, quiz that made me laugh. Okay. It relates to a whole bunch of things. Um, it is, live a day like it's 2000, and we'll tell you which Disney villain you are most like. I so have it's... bad news. I've already done this quiz. <laughs> oh, no, you jerk. <laughs> you do it, though, and I'll tell you who I got. <laughs> okay. Oh, so anticlimactic. Uh, pick a TV show to watch with your family. Ed, Gilmore Girls, Survivor, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, Malcolm in the Middle, Futurama, Trading Spaces, Whose Line Is It Anyways, Everybody Loves Raymond. Okay, well, I don't even know. What would I have watched? My dad and I would have watched Whose Line Is It Anyway. My mom and I would have watched none of those things together. Um, what song am I downloading from LimeWire? Oh, Jesus. Do you remember? Uh, <laughs> I do remember LimeWire. Actually, I didn't really use LimeWire. I used Napster, mm-hmm. and then I just kind of stopped. Uh, okay, Try Again by Aaliyah. Ooh, that's a great song. 
Doesn't really matter by Janet Jackson. What a girl wants. Pardon me by Incubus. Oops, I did it again. Big Pimpin'. Nope. Goodbye, Earl. I love that song. Uh, Beautiful Day or Music by Madonna. Probably Goodbye, Earl. Of those ones, anyway. All of those are um, absolute gems. Which movie are you most excited to see in theaters? The Gladiator, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, Meet the Parents, Chinese Angels, Bring It On. Fuck me. Bring It On is so great. Also, that came out in 1999. No. Um, <laughs> Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, X-Men, Unbreakable, and Almost Famous. So I worked at a movie theater in the year 2000, and it, let me tell you, that was a great summer mm-hmm. for movies. Um, oh, what was I most excited to see? Probably X-Men. Do you remember their awful leather pants in that first movie? I do remember their awful leather pants in that movie. Which store am I headed to? Uh, the Mall Limited. Books out. This is the bookstore. I don't know why. That's even a guess. It's the bookstore. Um, which brand new album am I going to burn a copy of No Strings Attached? All That You Can't Leave Behind. Music by Madonna. Marshall Mathers. One by The Beatles. Oops, I did it again. Stankonia, Parachutes, or Voodoo? Oof. Probably the U2 one? I don't even know. That's tough. That's a tough one for me. Yeah. All of the, like, all of that music, I was just like, shit. Pick a classic 90s movie to rent. Clueless to rent. Remember renting movies? Yes. Clueless, Jurassic Park, Pretty Woman, Pulp Fiction, Toy Story, Titanic. Home Alone, Men in Black, or The Sandlot. What would I have rented? Of those ones? Oof. Uh, I probably would have rented Men in Black. I'm the evil queen, cool, collected, and confident. Also someone who knows how to make tough choices in order to achieve your goals. Sure, sometimes your vanity gets in the way, but that's something that works into your strength. Yeah, I'll take it. Wait, what was it? The evil queen. Oh, I was Yzma. <laughs> that's awesome (laughs) I was just looking for something on BuzzFeed and I found a whole article about little women tweets Yeah, and the one that really made me laugh is a quote tweet of Whoopi Goldberg had thoughts on marriage saying I don't want somebody in my house Uh And it's Joe's reaction to Lori saying, I love you, Joe. It's so true. And then there was another good one shit. We all want to be Joe March living in a studio in Brooklyn, but we're all really just Amy crying and bleeding outside Lori's window. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. Oh Oh, man, that's so true. In the proposal scene, Joe is wearing Lori's waistcoat and necktie. Mm-hmm. She's wearing his costume. Oh, my God. That's even worse. Oh, it makes mm. it even worse. Yep. She sure is. Oh, my God. <laughs> Meryl Streep plays a powerful, domineering woman who promises one girl a trip to Paris, but ultimately gives it to another who she feels has more potential, and is her photo <laughs> from The Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> Oh, that's actually really funny. These are so good. That's really, really funny. Florence Pugh is a star, though. 
She was really great. I really, really liked her. Her voice was way too low. It upset me. But I loved well, her. Well, but... You know what? I was thinking about that, too, because, like, the Amy that we know in film is not like that, mm-hmm. but I think it gave her a little bit more, um, I think it gave her a little bit more, sort of, I don't know, I don't know what the word I'm looking for. I was able to take her a little bit more seriously. Mm-hmm. She was less awful, I think, because of it. Yeah. The, yeah. That's fair. Have you watched the show, uh, You, on Netflix? No. Larissa wanted us to talk about it, but I can't bring myself to watch it. Okay, so I will talk a little bit about it, because Erin had told me to to watch it, and I was like, oh, season two came out, I should watch more. Apparently I hadn't finished season one. I thought I had. Um, so I watched, like, the rest of season one, uh, here in the last couple days. And, like, Penn Badgley is phenomenal as this like mild-mannered bookshop bookstore manager Mm -hmm. who is also a serial killer (laughs) like my dream man he is so good um and it's really funny to me because a lot of the show is like him doing like narration voiceovers and whatever which is fine except it makes me think of gossip girl because of the reveal of course that like dan was gossip girl (laughs) And he was down on Gossip Girl, so it's just, it, there's something about that that's really funny to me. Um, that he's, like, doing this narration. Also, I can't imagine any American man making a website called Gossip Girl. There was a reason, I don't remember. I remember it being a shitty reason, and I didn't watch a single episode of the show. And even I was I like, I think he eh. made it, I, th- I think he made it, um... Have to oh, I don't know. I think it had something to do with because like this, the school that he and his sister were at. Excuse me, like they were like. Oh shit! I hung up on. Hello. Her. God damn it. Oh my god, Megan just hung <clears throat> up on me. Technical difficulties. Megan. <laughs> Sorry, I hit the microphone again. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for hanging up right away, though. You didn't. I didn't touch anything. You did. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, so I apologize. I'm very sorry. Um, we're good. Um, no, I think, if I remember correctly, uh, I think he set up the website because the private school that him and his sister went to, like, they were there. I don't know, they weren't there on, like, scholarship, but they were definitely, like, not wealthy enough to be in that school. Oh, I see. And I think that's why he started it, was sort of just to, like, Vent have a little bit of fun, Steve. and then it just, yeah, then it turned into this just absolute fucking shit show. Anyway, um, so in you, yeah, he's, like, this bookstore... Um, he's his bookstore manager, um, and also a serial killer. And he, like, meets this girl. Is he actually a serial killer? Yes. Oh, I thought he was a stalker. Uh, no, he's, he, he's killed people. Um. (laughs) For real? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he basically, uh, he 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 meets this girl and he's like very very attracted to her right away and like I don't remember all of the circumstances of how they met or whatever and he seemed normal at first but then he just like slowly starts to remove you know any problems that she has in her life like you know uh ex-boyfriends who might be problematic or like her best friend who's a little bit problematic and all this kind of stuff and, and so and then and everything seems to be fine and then she like finds out 
she discovers his like stash of stuff and finds like teeth that he's kept. What? It's like this whole big thing and then yeah, so in this in this book shop that he runs down in the basement, he's got all of these he's got this like climate controlled room for some of these rare books that he owns. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense. Um but he uses it as like a, a as a dungeon essentially and like he locks people in it and like tortures them in there. Uh and at one point in time like his neighbor he and his girlfriend who's not Beck who he's in love with but this other girl they like basically help his neighbor like um get off drugs down there and they they don't want to like they don't want her to have to check into rehab or whatever there's a whole bunch of things that go on but he's just an absolute sociopath and like the things that he does like he yeah the, the the things he gets himself into just to like be close to this woman are absolutely insane but I saw this on Twitter today and it just made me laugh um, so do you, I, when you were on the Twitter, do you remember, um, Jen Ashley Wright? She's like a, a comic writer and whatever. And her husband writes for like a late night TV show. Anyway, she, this is what she says. So like, this got a lot of traction, but she says here, the most unrealistic part of you is that Joe is a social outcast. If a man, if a man who looked like Penn Badgley ran a charming rare bookshop in the West Village, he'd be on some most eligible, eligible bachelor list in New York Magazine and dating Jenny Slate. Oh, so <laughs> and then, specific and true. And then she, yeah, then she goes on to say, since this has taken off and I've thought about it a lot, uh, Peach uh, and I'll spend a lot of season one talking about how Joe is a bad romantic candidate because he's poor. Which, it's true, a bookstore manager is probably not making six figures, but he appears to be the Mooney's sole heir. Given that there are never more than two customers in that bookstore, I seriously doubt they have the capacity to meet the 40000 a month rent demanded of small bookstores in Manhattan. I think this is one of those weird New York stories where Mooney won the deed to a building in a poker game in 1987 <laughs> and now operates a bookstore out of it. More like 1887. It, yeah. <laughs> Mooney has made it clear he views, views Joe as a son. He's also had a stroke. So in all likelihood, Joe stands to inherit easily $5 million worth of real estate tomorrow. He could easily sell... Uh, Mooney's bookstore to developers who will turn it into a bank in Amer- a bank of America and buy a Brooklyn brownstone where he makes pancakes and Beck writes weird second person Jay McInerney inspired fiction for the rest of her life. <laughs> of course he would never do this and would definitely say things like I just couldn't stand to see it turn into a bank of America which would lean into a fawning talk of the town piece in the New Yorker about how he was Manhattan's last great literature lover. But really Anyhow, all he wants to do is keep his dungeon. Pretty much. Anyhow, since Peach is from a literary family and presumably knows your average bookstore clerk can't shut down a store to host parties there for their girlfriend, I figure she'd suspect this. And Joe would, without question, be the envy of everyone at her party. Anyhow, women would be fucking making pilgrimages to that store today, Joe, a single, self-described romantic. It's all very true. Um, I find that so funny of how New Yorkers absolutely hate stories about New York. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, like, let me tell you how this is fucking shit in this doggy dog city of ours. Yeah. It's just, oh, man, it's just so funny. Um, but, yeah, it's, like, it's really, it's very interesting. Like, it's not, it's not the best TV that I've ever watched, but it's compelling enough. It's sort of, like, how fucking far is this fucking weirdo going to go? It was sort was sort of my mm-hmm. reaction to it, and the answer is very far. Really? See, um, is it gonna annoy me? Because if I have a feeling it's gonna annoy me, and I won't like it. Well, how will it annoy you? Like I'm like, into the like the... secret identity thing. Yeah. But I just hate it when people do stupid things. Well, he does lots of stupid things, but the stupid things that he does are mostly because 
he's a white man <laughs> who can get away with doing Period. a whole bunch of stupid Period. things. <laughs> like, that's really what it is, is he, he is, he's, he is able to get by doing what he does because he has a normal job. Right, he works in a bookshop. He doesn't have. He doesn't. He's not like a like a delivery truck driver or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He works like regular daytime hours, and he's pretty well read, and he's like pretty intelligent, um, and he's charming enough that like people don't suspect the weird shit that he does, and like he puts on a baseball hat and is all of a sudden like invisible to the world. Well, it's the Marvel way. Pretty much, pretty much. Um. Anyway, yeah, it's. It's. I think it's worth like checking out. I don't know if you'll love it, but I. I thought it was. I thought it was well done. I feel like because Larissa made me read his whole Dark Materials, I feel like I can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Larissa. Uh, I can't do all your recommendations. I can't do them all. Um, John Stamos shows up in the last couple episodes. As, as a what? therapist. As a therapist. As a therapist, yeah. Does he have a mullet and does he play drums? <laughs> no, he has a beard though. Interesting character development for John a Stamos. Full beard, yeah, yeah. Um, and the other thing too, like, there, it's very much like in that sort of like Pretty Little Liars gossip girl thing. Like, there's this woman and her like three closest friends. And they all kind of have, like, wildly different lives. Like, Beck, she's a writer, and she's... Uh, I think she's a grad student at NYU, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And then, like, one of her friends um, has a bunch of family money and, you know, whatever she ends up doing. And then, you know, someone else is like, works as, like, a publicist for someone. So, like, they've got these kind of, like, you know, different things, and they all, they all get together, and they brunch, and they, like... It's all everything you would normally see in a story about something taking place in New York uh, with, some, with some murdering going on. In the background. See, but I do like the hat. It's a, I would say, like, it's worth... The first couple episodes, I think, are, are interesting. You just have to kind of acknowledge that, like, you know, Penn Badgley's going to narrate all of the things that he thinks about. And, like, what... You just have to deal with it. Okay. It's worth a try. The first couple episodes I really liked. And then there was, like, kind of in the middle. And then it got better again. And then at the end, Aaron's like, she's like, have you watched it? And I said, no. And then I watched it. And she was like, did it fuck you up? And I was like, mm, yeah, a little bit. Oh, no. But it was good. And now there's a season two. I know. Well, you're doing a I very mean, good job of teasing me. So thanks for that. Anytime. <laughs> now there's a season two. And I'm curious to know, you know, what happens in season two. Um, but this book that I was going to tell you about... Oh, yes. Which is going to prevent me from doing a lot of things. Um, it's called uh, Duck's Newburyport. Okay. My dad told me about it. Uh, it was published in 2019, and it is a thousand pages... What? ...of a stream of consciousness. No, Megan! And it's written by this woman. I don't know. Anyway, it's like, it's this, it's this story of, it's like the thoughts of this, like... I think the woman's in Ohio, somewhere in, like, semi-rural Ohio, I think. Ohio, Iowa, one of the two. It doesn't really matter. They're the same. Um, for the, all intents and purposes, they're the same thing. Um, anyway, yeah, so Dad told me about it, and I read some I read some reviews, and I read, uh, you know, a little description of it, and I was like, you know, let's do it. Let's, let's give it a shot. So I ordered it, and it will be coming uh, to my house sometime within the week. 
you should see the levels on my reaction to a thousand pages of, of fucking stream of consciousness. That is my goddamn nightmare. Well, and so this is the this is what the challenge is going to be because it reading is stream it, of consciousness. <laughs> there are no chapters. It's oh, just a block of text. No. Oh God. Why do you hate um, yourself so much? I don't hate myself. I, I I thought it sounded really interesting. It was in... My dad only found out about it. It was in uh, uh, Time Magazine. Is like They've got had a list of like 100 bu- books from 2019 mm-hmm. that you should read. And so I was like, okay. Oh, man. Yeah, so it's it's a stream of consciousness. This is just from the Wikipedia summary. The novel is written in the stream of consciousness narrative style and consists of mostly a single sentence. Burn it. So I was I was curious about. So I read a couple things, a couple of reviews that didn't give away uh, too much, and uh, this is what it said in the Guardian. It says the fact that Duck's Newburyport is a thousand and twenty pages long. The fact that ninety five percent of the novel is made up of just eight near endless sentences without paragraph breaks, some of them spooling over more than 100 pages. The fact that most of the novel is a list of statements separated by commas that begin with the phrase, the fact that. The fact that you soon don't notice the repetition of the fact that. The fact that these statements are also punctuated by the seemingly random emanations of the narrator's mind. The fact that this, it just goes on and on and on. Anyway. Um, so that's what it's like. But I, uh, the most challenging book I've ever read was A Girl is a Half-Formed Thing by Amar McBride. Um, because of the style that it was written. Okay. And, like, it that's the most challenging book I've ever read in my entire life. Um, it took me five tries to do it, but a friend of mine recommended it to me. She's like, I promise you'll love it. You just have to, and I needed to be in the headspace. So here's the very first paragraph of this, of this other book. So I feel like if I could read this, I can do this other thing. Um, for you, you'll soon, you'll give her name. In the stitches of her skin, she'll wear your say. Mammy me? Yes, you. Bounce the bed, I'd say. I'd say that's what you did. Then lay you down. They cut you round. Wait and hour and day. I hate it. That's the first part. I hate it. It was so good. It was so good. But it was just like, I really had to get myself into a space to read it. So I feel like with this other one, it'll just be a matter of like getting myself into a space to do some reading. Yeah, that's true. Well, look forward to exam week. <laughs> well, that's kind of what I was thinking, because I have a lot of time. Yeah, so. you got diplomas, I've, so... I do. I have two classes writing diplomas, and then my social tens are only writing a multiple choice midterm, not a written, written midterm, so I don't have to mark it. Oh, yeah. Like, I just have to run it through the scanner. So I have to mark one writing assignment for 35 kids. That fucking rules. Yeah, so I'll have lots of time. And then next semester, I'm teaching all things that I've taught before. Um, so, like, all my prep work. It's not that it's all done, but, like, it's less than if I'm teaching something brand new. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I feel like I'm going to take that uh, giant book and... Crack it. Crack it and see what happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <sighs> Can't wait for that review. It's going to upset um, me. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Um, but I just, you know what, like, ultimately, I just was like, you know, I can give myself a challenge. I'm going to do it. Yeah, that's always important. Challenge yourself with right, a book I, you wouldn't necessarily go after. 
No, and I probably, and I mean, I wouldn't have read that. I wouldn't have read that uh, article at all. So it was interesting. I also found um, in that same time list, I found six more that I'm gonna get to. Um, there's a couple like essay collections. Uh, there's one called Because Internet. Yeah. <laughs> And it's just, it's about, like, that shift in language and communication and how, you know, because we have these different ways of speaking and, you know, does punctuation really matter and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's an interesting thing to think about. See, if I was doing that, I would have titled it Well Job. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, there was that. And then there's an essay collection from Toni Morrison, which beautiful I just put on the list and I was like, yeah. And then there's one about, um, it's called The Heartbeat of Wounded Knee. And so I think just for teaching... Like the wounded knee? The wounded knee? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I just think for some context maybe with that, with Walsh, the play that I teach, and sort of give some, some sort of background to oh, what yeah. happened and and how that migration took place. That'd be helpful. Um, yeah. There was just some interesting things. So anyway. Hmm. But I will let you know how this one goes. It's by a British author. It's Ducks Newburyport by a British author named Lucy Ellman. And I guess she's just trying... Just trying something. Just trying something, yeah. Like, the, the, the Guardian uh, review says, it pushes narrative to its limits. I hate stream of consciousness so much. Anyway. This has gone on too long, <laughs> So anyway, that's all I got. I don't have anything else to say. Me neither. I mean the podcast, not you talking about this book. Um, yeah. So that's it. That's all I got. Okay. Um, so... Oh, I did have a question. Oh, let's hear it. I did not get any questions. I kind of... Um, after watching the juniors finals, are we now the baddies? Ooh. That's from Malcolm. Probably, probably a little bit would be my guess. I didn't watch much of it. Um, I used to watch the tournament a lot more than I have in recent years because I used to be a lot more invested in Mm -hmm. it. Um, but now I just feel bad when they lose and everyone just piles on them. Mm-hmm. They're just boys. They are. They are just children. Um, and then, like, it's it's made equally bad when, like, um, American sports people, like, mock that sort of, oh, they're just kids when they lose, but, you know, but when they win, they're the best. They're ever. men. I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like, whatever, Wyshynski, shut the fuck up. Because um, he's one of them. And, like, Pete Blackburn does it, too, and it, kinda, it bugs me when they're, when you get have that, like, Thing. But I would just, I would say we're probably the bad guys somehow. Isn't it Although nice to be the baddies, though? Once in a while, it's not the worst. Um, a guy that I follow on Twitter had a really good tweet about it, which I thought was really funny. It has something to do with Operation Barbarossa. Just give me one second. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he says, Russia didn't repel Operation Barbarossa and kneecap Hitler so the Canadian teenagers could get awarded bullshit two minute five on three. Oh my god. <laughs> That's so good. Like, what, That's hysterical. what a niche tweet. That's fabulous. <laughs> such a niche um, tweet. It is. <laughs> like, that That hits a very small segment of the population. For sure, for sure. Too funny. Um, okay, two other things I want, I want to talk about very briefly, and I was just reminded of it because I saw uh, someone had liked a tweet of mine. Um, the New England Patriots are not in the NFL playoffs anymore because they lost yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was very satisfying. It ruined my chance at, like, probably winning 1200 bucks. But, but satisfying okay nonetheless, it. yeah. It's so satisfying because they're out. Um, and also... The Buffalo Bills did the most Bills thing imaginable and got up 16 nothing and then lost. Um, 
And I'm a little bit sad about it because I picked them to cover the spread and uh, they didn't. I was hoping they were going to lose, but they didn't cover and I was, I was annoyed. Uh, and then just earlier today, the New Orleans Saints also lost to the Minnesota Vikings, which is problematic because I don't like the Vikings, but I really don't like the Saints. So like things are just kind of shaping up. Well, and now if a, if a sinkhole could open up underneath uh, this stadium in Philadelphia and swallow both teams, <laughs> I would be really happy. I just always think of Lizzo now. New man on the Minnesota Vikings. <laughs> That's the best part of um, that song. Fucking love that yeah, song. But yeah, so the sports, the sports things are, are good right now. Mostly I'm just happy that Tom Brady's out of the playoffs because then I don't have to listen to anyone talking about like, is Tom Brady going to, is this going to be his last game? Is this going to be his last game? Well, it might have been yesterday. And his last throw was an interception for a touchdown. So <laughs> fuck you, Tom Brady. <laughs> fuck you forever. <laughs> um, and that's that. Okay. That's all I have. There we go. There we go. Got it out. Uh, yeah, I did. Uh, our non-sports sports podcast. Okay. Well, I have an announcement. My bladder's going to explode out my mouth. <laughs> So that's all we have for this week. Um, as always, you can find ourselves on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play. You can email us at garbagefirepodcast at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at Meg14. You can find the podcast on Twitter, sort of. Garbagefirepod. Garbage but you can you can get in touch with us that way. Yes. I promise I read the messages. Um, oh, there's an Instagram, Garbagefirepod. We had our top nine from 2019, which was very hysterical. <laughs> My favorite one is still the apple saying fuck the police. (laughs) Although the prenatal vitamins was real good. We forgot to do the thing again. We'll do it next week because this is going on on way too long. Yes. Um, Again, peeing out my mouth. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, And as always, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you in the dumpster.